This is the audio podcast with Samuel Freeman and Scott Hewitt. Sam, it's Monday. It is. It's Monday. It's not Wednesday. It's Monday, the twentieth of June. S- but this is Wednesday, the twenty-second show. It is. It shows seventeen of the audio podcast. That's good. You mentioned what the p- podcast is because people. Might not realise. Might not know, even after that little intro there, which said yeah. what it is and who we are and all that. So we're we're kind of having... Oh, I'm, I might be doing something on Wednesday, so we're doing the show early, basically. Yep. But that's okay, I think, you know. We've got an awesome main feature, which we is kind of which is quite long. So we're, we're going to have to have a short news section anyway. And as we've only got half the time that we normally do the news in, it'll be fine. Okay. And next week's show, I'll have an even longer news section because we'll catch up on what we missed. If yes. something happens, that's worth catching up on, obviously. Anything that might happen between Monday and Wednesday. Anyway. Talking about days of the week, though. It's not Friday. It's not Friday. It's definitely either. not Friday. Um, and, and and nor will it ever be, apparently. <laughs> this is great. Obviously, the Rebecca, we're, we're referring here to the Rebecca Black song, Friday. Um, I just couldn't, after the whole hoorah of it and the viral hit it became and the horrors of the song itself and all this stuff it turns out that it is now there is now a copyright dispute about the song and as a consequence the youtube video has been pulled so for anybody who hadn't heard the video yet you can't listen to the official youtube video of it anymore i suspect there is a a variety of copies of the video online in other places <laughs> but there is no one there Sam, um, That's ha- have you grown to love the song more? Um, no, I haven't paid any. I haven't. I don't think I've even heard it. Like the first time we mentioned this on show five, I think it was. I, I looked yesterday. Um, I I hadn't heard of it until we came to the show, and I was shocked and appalled. Um, and now the thing that shocks me is that the you, the Wikipedia entry for this song has how many? As of today, ninety-eight references, and I think that's an indication that people are spending far too much time thinking and writing and putting energy into this product this thing this yeah but but it, it, it is an important thing sam that's all there is to it really okay. it is important but personally if you haven't heard the song and now it's off youtube you maybe can't hear maybe the original song will disappear for a bit oh well um but you could listen there are a couple of load of cover versions glee did it the glee cast did it i spotted that in wikipedia yeah I, i've heard of glee you've heard of glee have you yeah. that's <laughs> and um oh, there's somebody else who did it and she actually did a good version of it it was like a kind of a kind of acoustic number at one of her gigs oh it's gone out of my head it's it someone no oh, no i'm gonna get their name think you, you talk about someone while i got this name well sh- shall i move on to the next thing then you'll just drop this back in or or, or drop me to talk about I, i've got nothing more to say about this friday gone so that's it it's katie perry was the name that i was looking for now we can go on to the next item. Now that you've raised the turn. Um, Friday, Friday, it's actually Monday. Carry on. Like that. Yep. Okay. Um, Korg. Korg released an I- a, a sync control. It's a free iOS application, which is marketed as for to enable synchronization to the monotribe. Um, but the way it works is by outputting audio clicks at and it also synchronizes over um, wireless networks. So you can, in theory, synchronize software to your monotribe if you have such a thing. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's a, it's a free app? or It is a yeah, free app, yeah. Um, you can tap in the tempo or synchronize it, and it outputs clicks, which you can plug into the sync input of the monotribe and thereby sync it. But I suppose there must be... The thing that, yeah, that, you know, it caught my eye because the Korg toys, as they are these days, um, I, I got good fun. But, and the fact that, it, because it's a free application, not that I have an iOS device, but surely there must be other applications of this, because it's outputting clicks, you know, I mean, I don't know. Well, it's just audio s- synchronizing using a click. Yeah, click, 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 click. But it, it yeah. Surely there is, but maybe there isn't. I'm saying it's the the iOS devices are a little bit awkward to work with, aren't they? If you want high resolution timing, if I remember correctly. Mm. Yeah. So maybe it's actually a bigger task than 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 you think it would be, and hence maybe there isn't. That, that makes sense. I I just say that I'm I no, I can't really talk about it. I guess no, I probably can't. I have a friend of mine who's doing a project, and his project was all about timing and playing sound files at the right thing as an iOS device. Mm-hmm. And we were like, "Oh, that's a 
that's like an afternoon maybe maybe not even an afternoon maybe it's an hour's work or something like that and then it turns out that if you actually want them to play at a guaranteed correct point in time that isn't actually trivial that's quite a task in terms of getting the device to guarantee the exact playback at the right point and with something like this you would need the audio click at the right point well otherwise it'd be no point I think somebody who has an iPhone or an iPad or something should get this and tell us whether or not it keeps time because just as a metronome it it would exist and work so yeah no know. that's that's cool that's, inter- that's I think interesting I, I noticed I'm saying when you were picking out irrelevant points loosely collect with the last item i notice here there's a little um note about wireless network midi function is still new in developing technology and therefore there are no guarantees concerning stability which can be heavily affected by traffic over the wireless network exactly yep that's the the wist isn't it the wireless sync start technology yeah. yeah it's very true you know our wireless networks aren't really designed for this stuff at all actually our the entire network stack isn't really designed for this stuff at all for midi which is a serial thing well, but for anything but in over time, it's just, yep. you know what I mean? It's the entire network's built on a, it will eventually happen, and we're very good at making sure it eventually happens. <laughs> None of it's built on a, this will happen now, and hence you have all sorts, we have all sorts of problems. This isn't a, like a, a gear, a tech philosophy show, is it? So we probably shouldn't go on any further with that. Well, in that case, let's turn our attention to IK Multimedia, who are 15 years old, apparently. And they're birthday. celebrating this by um, giving stuff away, as you do. Oh, if you buy things, that is. <laughs> the first thing, I... Oh, oh they've got a, a history of their things. And every is. item on that history is... Everything they've released has been the first something. Yeah. Every every single item. You remember says, Sample Tank? I do. Amplitude? I do. It, that was the first virtual instrument workstation plugin. <laughs> oh, that's very good. <laughs> to them. Have an amplitude. I remember amplitude. I do, and that was that was when I first. I think that was probably the first thing I was aware of from then. Um, when it I, when it came out, I I had to back and remember them. Samplitude. Do you remember mm. that? That was a um, audio workstation. I, I can't remember who made it. Yeah, yeah I'd, um, but it had a similar name. That's yeah, I know you mean. Oh, yeah, well, that's cool. But it's not made by the same people, so it's not in this list. So what are they giving away <laughs> as part of their 15th? They have a mega group buy thing where you can um, buy one, get one free with 15% off whatever it is that you buy. And if 5,000 people do this, then you'll get a second thing free also. Or, well, then it says get two free products. I'm guessing that's on top of, that's one extra to okay. the or- one you've already had. I didn't read the small print. But that seems to be across there. And all of their products are 15% off plus... Buy one, get one free, and if enough people get involved, then you get more stuff for free. As with all IK multimedia purchasing things, it's not quite as straightforward as you might think. They like to make it a bit complicated. Yeah, I, I, I don't like these kind of group buy things. I just don't. It's like, we're not really, it's, it's like, we're not giving a price, but we have a deal, which if it works out really well for us, we're kind of, it'd be okay for everybody else to have a bit better as well. And just seems a bit like, you know. <laughs> that, that's how I feel about that. You know, th- this isn't a tech share review show either, so um, we shouldn't really talk anymore about what that says. Well, the but that, that, the, their rig is cool. I'm saying the history is cool, actually. The, the history of the show is cool. But, you know, I mean, it's some, it's some pretty cool toys as well, isn't it? Yeah. Stuff to play with. I keep saying toys. I don't mean, you know, these aren't like Korg toys. These are actual kind of useful toys. Korg toys are useful as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. Excuse me, I've got a giant hole. I'm going to jump into it. <laughs> Do you want a spade down there? Um, but that's cool. Toys are fun. Technology is fun. Making music is that, that, fun. That's what I was trying to say. We, we have a tendency to refer to all these things. As, I call my laptop a toy and I like work on it continuously. So yep. That's fair enough. Building software toys is kind of what I'm doing. So it's yeah, Very serious toys, of course. Of course. Very serious. Very serious playing. It's, it's, game, gaming is a serious thing. So you got to remember that. <laughs> okay, let, let's move on. Okay, Goodbye. happy birthday to IK Motor Media. Obviously, that one's saying. Indeed, um, Avid, Avid. I um, well, I hear Avid, and I think did you design on Pro Tools? But Avid are also the people that make Sibelius. I it kind of forget. They've just this. got everything, haven't they? Yeah, well, it, that's why I think that's why they moved over to the Avid at the time when they changed over. We were like, well, why have you gone from a name that we know to one that you haven't? But actually, this is why. But Avid have released another iPad. Sorry about all the iOS stuff today. Um, happens um scorch which is a sheet music application well scorch has been around for a while because you've always been able to publish from sibelius to what they refer to as the scorch format and that was v- shown as a plugin inside a in a browser so it was a you could you could see it in a browser and the idea was that you could 
buy this stuff and see in your browser. So, yep. you know, I mean, and then you could buy sheet music and anybody could publish a piece of sheet music for sale and such. And to be honest, I suspect. So actually, all that's new here is just that they've taken their reader and made it into an app because well, they've made I, it into an iOS app. Yeah, it's it's like a night. It's like an ebook thing for sheet yeah. music. Well, I I think it's a good, you know, I, I just. Yeah, I, I think that's a cool feature. I, I don't. I've always suspected that the problem these devices have always had, these things have always had, is the fact that you can get a lot of sheet music <laughs> from other places anyway. So that was always going to be problematic. And I think a lot of musicians don't tend to consume sheet music anyway, do they? It's like, you know, if I'm booked to play something and somebody asks for a song, I just like listen to the song and pull it, <laughs> transcribe it down. It's, you know, I mean, I'm not going to throw some of my fee onto a piece of sheet music, but that's just. I am. But a, a sheet reader would be cool. Like th- this kind of thing has always struck me as really cool, and I think we've been on the the cusp of kind of the digital score for a long time because paper scores are hard work. They're just messy. Mm. They they, you know, you gotta they're hard work to print. You you gotta write them. You gotta have them fixed. You've gotta have them done in time with enough time to be able to get it duplicated and printed into as many ways as you want it to be, which is quite a pressure. Then you have this thing. You find there's a mistake in it. You have to redo it all again, or you do a performance something isn't quite right you make an edit it has to all go again mm-hmm. so you know from you know and it's always been my experience of it and then like in a jazz quartet i play and we always have the problem of transcribing because we have you know three different front three different people of which we have a combination of two at the front of the group playing you know different saxes and different keys so we, we essentially walk around with like a pad of six copies of a head <laughs> in case you know and this kind of thing would be ace like an ipad and you just pull it whatever song you want to at the same point i'm not sure that scotch is this solution I'd like, though. No. I'm not a big fan of Sibelius. Are you a big fan of Sibelius? No, I've I've no particular use for it, so... I'm, I'm oh, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me tell you about what I tried instead. So I've been playing okay. with Lillipond recently. Yeah? Playing with Lillipond recently. Now, Lillipond is... has a whole collection of graphical front ends to it, which haven't really worked out for me. But you can actually just write a text file and the text file is rendered as 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 notes. Yep. And that is pretty awesome. It understands transposition, so you just basically write it and transpose it however you want to. There's a whole variety of shorthand techniques inside it, and it scores, the, the printing is beautiful when it comes out. And I actually think that's a much nicer way of working, because you can do a lot more program as a, you know, if you're, mm. if you, if you program or you know somebody who does program, you can hand them a text file and they can do anything they want to it. So, you know, I have scores which are now under revision control using Git, which is which is something that you just couldn't do with Sibelius. I'm saying they, Sibelius can't tell you what the revision issues are. So, One thing I spotted in Scorch just now is um, that there's also guitar tabs and things available. And that's something I have in the past. If I wanted to play a song, I would just type it in and look get, and get the tab. And if it wasn't available, I would write the tab and, you know, then I would work it out and yep. publish that. So... Yep, just another angle on that. I think, but would I be willing to pay for these things? Maybe I would these days. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think it's cool. I, I think it's a cool technology. It, it's a cool technology. It's a great use for music people, like iPads, you know, iPhones. All the screen stuff is kind of cool. I guess the only issue I would say is how do you turn a page? And I'm, I'm sure somebody will build, like, you know, it's kind of thing. Well, it's like you've always wanted, if, you know, if you're playing... Well, how like, do you... Turn a paper page, you know. Well, surely precisely, it's, it's going to be easier a... on the iPad than it is on the, on the paper. I mean, I yeah, but you're going to have to like fix your iPad to the stand and make sure it doesn't fall over. And there's lots of products that do that now, though. Yeah, I guess so. But then there's the little tricks that you do with paper where you kind of like, you know, you have them ordered in this right order and, and stuff like that. You can like have them that. all laid out. So you have them all laid out space, and all that stuff. And, you know, what I mean, so I think because you're going to have to do more page turns. Mm-hmm. With this kind of device, and if the score layout, the score layout, I have to be done in such a way that it gives you opportunity to turn page. Well, as well. maybe th- they should build in score following so that it listens to what you're playing it, I and then it knows by listening to what you're playing, it knows when to turn it automatically. That would be that would be cool. Or a foot pedal would be cool. Yeah, I'd like a foot pedal. Or what would be Ace? Obviously, we're just dreaming of things here now. But if they had like a Kinect motion camera on the front of the iPad, and then it could follow, like you could gesture at it. And it would turn the page. That I'd but like if that. it's listening to what you're playing, it doesn't even need to look at you. It can but listening might not get it right. If if you're like one of ten players in the violin section, okay, yeah, yeah. I think it might be struggling. But then that'd be great. Imagine how many pranks you could play on like people in front of you. You could like try and get their screen to change in the middle of a section while they're not, you know, kind of. Yeah, I suspect just leaning over and swiping across the screen is probably going to be the way it works. So it's going to be the method, you think? Yeah. I I reckon it's going to be like a foot controller or something to turn up to do it. Well. 
There's more speculation in the review, which we've also linked to, where we on the oh, Pro cool. Tool blog. So oh, a Pro Tool blog, awesome. Yeah, that's where I came across that. So. All right then. Well, that's cool. Anyway, we think that's cool. Yep. What's um, our What's our what's Couple our more things. Time? We'll do this quickly. Um, the 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 other portable touchscreeny thing in the world, Android, is um, now host to the React Table mobile. Oh, mobile. very cool version of that so yeah we've mentioned that a few times across the weeks every pops up every now and then for one reason or another yeah so yep that's new this week is reactable for android there you go yeah that's cool not much else to say about that really so no it's there it's cool like um it. fine and products yeah we, yeah in terms of sound sets and things that are out there's I've, I've put this in because I don't know how I feel about it, actually. Um, VST sound loop sets been released by Steinberg. From Steinberg, okay. Now, the first thing that I wasn't sure was they're calling them VST sound loop sets. So I wasn't sure what that meant to start with. You know, is this a VST thing? Yeah, I, but I, as far as I can tell from reading the bump, it's just an audio. They're audio construction kits and stuff. So it's a sample library. It, it's a sample library, and they're basically... They own VST, don't they? Am I right? Yes, so, yeah, so they're so. able to use that on the front of it, and that's they want why. To. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like the HD monkey, isn't it? Really, you know, you whack it in front of anything you want to. It's yeah, and VST as well. Not it's like a buzzword. But yeah, so I'm I won't I won't go on too much. But it's sound in a can for various genres. They have a, a like a couple of supporting demo songs though, and a video yeah. interview as well. If the people are responsible for it, so it's a couple, you know. Yep. If you're if you're working, I mean, I, I presume it works with more than just Steinberg products. Who knows? Um, yeah, if you're a or maybe it's a sample library in like a weird format or something. It, yeah, maybe. But, you know, if, if you want to open a can and pour out some ambient lounge. Nice work. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, that um, brings us to the main feature. Yeah, so I'm going to let you introduce the main feature because otherwise it's me introducing me, which is just weird. Yep, so um, a few days ago, Scott met... Met up on Skype with Jim Spencer and David Tolan, who are music masters, uh, producers, and they had a chat about music production, and yeah, here it is. So it's uh, Scott Hewitt here, and I'm joined by uh, Jim Spencer and David Tolan. Hello, guys. How are you? Hello. We're yeah. good. Yeah, Hello. good. We're good. And we're, we're obviously speaking via the wonders of Skype, so if things go a bit crackly or weird, then that's Skype. But you're actually very near. I'm in Huddersfield, and you're across in Manchester. Yeah, so that hopefully there won't be too much warbling on, on our voices. <laughs> Extra modulation. <laughs> That's always nice. So could you, um, could, would you like to introduce yourself to the audience? Or? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm Jim. Um, I'm a producer, engineer. Um, been working in this industry for more years than I care to mention. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, worked with a whole host of different artists over the years. Um, kind of started out as a sound engineer and then kind of moved into production over the last, I don't know, five, ten years or something. Um, uh, that's me. Started out at Chapel Studios and um, work mainly out of Manchester these days, as does David. Um, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm Dave Tolan. I'm a producer as well. I come from a slightly different background than Jim in the respect that um, I've been in bands for years. Um, so I got into production from, shall we say, more of a, a musical leaning and being in signed bands through the 90s. And yeah. from that being asked really by different artists that I was, you know, working with to, you know, get involved with programming, et cetera, et cetera. I was in a project called The Joy which got really good critical acclaim in England. And um, from that, I really developed a lot of programming skills, really. I mean, I come from a sort of drumming uh, background mainly. Um, and that's something that I still do as well. I mean, recently I worked um, playing live with Johnny Marr. Um, mm -hmm. But it was technology, really, that I kind of got interested in. Um, so I came from that background, really, and as an offshoot from the joy, I ended up being asked to remix a lot of international artists, namely Tori Amos, um, Primal Scream, various other artists for the Warner Brothers label. And from that, ended up developing my sort of production skills from from that angle, really. Cool. So could you, um, something that would be really interesting, I think, to listeners would be your, your thoughts about how things have changed over the last 
over the time you've been involved in the industry. Um, I'm, I'm right in thinking that you were probably working with tape initially, or yeah. Well, when I started out, I, I you know, one of the first things I had to learn was to operate the the dishwasher sized 24 track tape machine. <laughs> um, and you know, they, they they still have those things in some of the studios, but they, they tend to be used as like. Um, oh, sorry, um, coffee coffee holders. Uh, co- sorry, uh, tea, you know, putting teacups on, much to the, the annoyance of the, uh, the studios, I think. Um, but um, yes, we started out with tape, and you know, these days with splicing, splicing um, audio around, and editing, and sort of different playlists, and all that sort of stuff that you can do. It seems like um, sort of. Uh, Star Trek stuff, I guess, like um, compared to when I started out, where we were just splicing tapes with um, a piece of uh, with a razor blade on the edit block, hoping that you weren't chopping in the wrong place, <laughs> hoping that you'd be able to stick back together without a, a, yeah. an audible thump on the uh, on the uh, the playback. So yeah, technology's obviously changed a lot. Um, well, really, it's it's constantly changing. I mean, even in the last five years, things have come on a lot. Last last ten years, going back about eighteen years, eighteen nineteen years actually, when I when I started out, and that that was tape. Um, there were black and white Atari computers, which managed to deal with some basic MIDI, um, yeah. the old Cubase, and samplers, which, to be honest, was a lot of fun. I mean, at that point, I I, I just thought that was kind of just amazing technology um, to be able to sample something and put it on a keyboard and play it. I think in that period, I mean, one you know, word that you use a lot is endeavour. You know, and I think records, when records were made, when we, both of us look back on some of the bits of equipment that we had to make it, it's quite, a, looking back on it, you think it's quite amazing I made the record at all. <laughs> You know, like making it sometimes with uh, a couple of records I did with an eight track and some drum machines and some samplers. And then, you know, Jim, you know, you did electronic albums, didn't you, with ADATs and, uh, you know, and and where you're having to sort of even like compile vocals by spinning it off one track, punching it in onto another and delaying certain segments on, on the track and... You know, so it, it's massively changed, and it's really like, I mean, now I look at it and I kind of think, God, this is really kind of easy for people. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the danger, isn't it? It's almost it's almost too easy um, because, you know, you can kind of get pretty good results from just mm, pu- pulling up a plug-in, um, pulling up a, I don't know, a drum or a synthesizer module, yeah. just pulling up a preset and because... You know, they're all samples. They're generally pretty well-recorded samples. You can get something that sounds pretty kind of professional, I guess, um, out of the box straight away. But unfortunately, that kind of means that there's a lot of generic sort of sounding Mm. music, which maybe sounds pretty good, but maybe the quality of the music is... uh, Yeah. Yeah, it's like having a sort of tom-tom in the car, you know. It's like, you know... We'll we'll create a generation of people that they don't know where anything is. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a bit like true, yes. a bit like technology in a way. It's like what's interesting sometimes is the journey and it's the endeavour mm. and the serendipity that's involved. Do you know what I mean? Because you kind of go in. What happens if I do this yeah. to this and this to this? And I think sometimes it's almost like plugging stop. No, no, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's some amazing records made today of, you know, super sort of, uh, you know, really high standards. Yeah, definitely so, yeah. I think sometimes it's like the endeavour gets a bit lost and the experimentation Mm. factor can get a bit lost. So sometimes you you have very Pro Tools sounding records, don't you? Mm. Do do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely, yeah. I mean, I think think it's, you know, there's, there's... there's certain tools that are available um, that really make my life a hell of a lot easier. Mm. Um, and they, you know, one thing that's changed a lot in the industry, is, aside from the sort of ten- technological aspects, are you know the bu- budgets are kind of generally tighter now mm. um, than they were. Massively tighter. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot tighter than they were maybe five or 
10 years ago, yeah. even even five years ago, really. Yeah. Um, so that generally means you get less time in the recording studio because recording studios are expensive. Um, so to be able to um, effectively quantize a bad drummer yeah. um, or make, you know, kind of get some vocal sounding good with the help of a little bit of Melodyne or auto-tune, um, it speeds the process up and that is... You know that's always welcome. Um, it's when you just lean on it too much. I think that's that's where the problems come in. When you kind of rely on the technology and at the expense of the kind of the what Dave was talking about, the sort of serendipity, the kind of mm. the uniquely sort of human aspect of music. Whether it's whether it's organic kind of rock music or electronic music as well. Um, I mean, Dave Dave's made a lot of dance records, and um, you know. There's, there'd be stuff that he would that he came up with, which was be like just twiddling knobs in yeah, a yeah, you know, yeah. kind of random way, or just feeling his way through and and like recording it all, and then you know you, you can't, it wasn't necessarily um, thought out. Uh, maybe yeah. initially it was thought out, yeah. but it kind of maybe led to something which was yeah. There was there was one particular technique, uh, you know, was. Um, with the old Akai samplers, you could put, you could be playing all the MIDI, so it'd be, you know, be spitting it out onto different MIDI channels. But then you could just put it in a, you know, a sort of sample mode where all the MIDI channels would be playing one sample. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. you get all these sort of serendipitous factors where I remember just reconstructing the whole track just mm -hmm. by that alone, you know, because yeah. it was coming up with some freaky stuff. Yeah. Um, so. You know, I think the the benefits are that you can work quickly, you can get things to sound really good, but sometimes there's a bit of that, that kind of random chaotic factor that can be sort of lost as well, I think. Yeah. I mean I don't I definitely don't miss the uh track count on twenty four track machines. Like, no. You know, we're gonna do some backing vocals, but we've got one track left. Or oh, two tracks left. How are we gonna how are we gonna fit this on? So, you know, you do slave reels and and have to commit to bounces, which is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, the Beatles managed to commit to four tracks. <laughs> I, suppose it was, I suppose it was all right. Um, um, but that's something that would probably might be good to talk about, is the fact that the benefits of that are that um, you have to make decisions, mm, which, right. I mean, one thing, Scott, that we've sort of, you know, talked to a lot of, you know, up-and-coming producers and students about is the fact that one of the things that they find the most difficult is to make decisions Mm. I, I think yeah i'd agree with that i'm saying i i have an adage that i kind of use in my time which is you know things can be better better worse or just different and you can spend a, a lot of time just different you know just going slightly different slightly different slightly different and yeah know, i need um i'm i'm I, I was involved when we were kind of at adat as a kind of technology and yeah that, mm. that kind of obviously you had eight tracks there so that often you know that forced you you know you could do a drum take but you, you could keep the drum take as an eight as an eight track, but eventually you had to push it down onto a, a stereo pair to be able to put the other stuff alongside it. So you, mm. yeah, it, it that... forced you to commit to that. Whereas the last project I did in a studio, you know, I, I was dealing with kind of eight tracks of drums all the way to the end, basically. And yeah, you know, every every time you played it back, the drummer had a new opinion about how the mix should be for his kit. It was, <laughs> you know, you obviously obviously Dave wasn't involved because if Dave was involved, you'd be recording that. And... 20 tracks for the drums. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I don't, that's not just me. No, no, uh, Jim is, he's like, you know, he's always uh, throwing mics up. You well, know. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what, what I love about recording onto Pro Tools, particularly, actually, um, is that you can, you know, you, within reason, you've got an unlimited track count, so it's, it's kind of nice to throw up microphones in kind of sort of more unusual places. I did a session a little while ago, and we ended up putting it, I put a mic behind uh behind the Hammond organ it was yeah. kind of, which was sort of sandwiched up against the wall and it's just it's only because like the assistant had said oh i got a good result out of this one so mm. I said, well why not I'll just stick one there we had enough channels on the desk and um we had enough tracks so i just recorded it and um, and then uh, promptly erased it <laughs> but at least at least you can find out what things you know you can try stuff and you can record it and you don't have to necessarily go right i've only got um you know four tracks eight tracks whatever mm. to get these drums on i haven't really got the the track spare to um 
experiment with kind of more unusual techniques. I, I guess that's where the the time issues in the studio have have such a consequence as well, don't they? Because there's there you um, know, may not be the time to just try some wacky placements to try and establish a more distinctive, differentiating sound. No, and I, I think these days, I mean, that's that's a shame because I mean, it's it's there is a tendency towards a kind of I don't know, a sort of playing the safe, going down the sort of safe route because you know it's going to get there, get you get the job done quickly. Um, and I mean, you know, I'm all, I I don't really like spending ages on, you know, necessarily, even if I've got time, I don't think it's really healthy to spend a whole day getting a guitar sound or Mm. or a drum sound. For a start, it's boring, isn't it? Yeah. It's really really boring. Um, but, um, it's kind of interesting to sort of, come up with some kind of sound that is sort of individual and unique and um, whether it's a, a drum sound or, mm. or a guitar sound or, or an effect on something or other. I think, I think it's good from, for each session to have a little bit of an experiment, you know, depending on what the, the constraints are like time-wise, you know, it's always good to go, let's try this, you know, you know, these mics, ambient mics facing the floor. And, mm. you know, it's always good to sort of, because otherwise, you know, you, you end up with a kind of one standard, you know, set of mics and, you know, and it's always good to, I think, uh, and Jim was just pointing out before, listen to what in-house engineers say as well, you know, because sometimes they can point you to a good placement or a good mic or, yeah, yeah. you know. Well, they know the place inside out generally, so yeah. it's always good to take on, you know, their input, um, assuming that you can gauge that they know what they're talking about, but um, mm. yeah, generally that's the way. So if, um, if I can move you on from the kind of big, the kind of big studio environment, how, how do you feel about the kind of bedroom production sort of thing, which is kind of, which, which is obviously happening more and more now with the availability of kind of laptops and kind of, you know, some entry level kind of hardware is getting, is, is pretty good and is pretty well priced now, isn't it? So how, how, how do you feel about that sort of stuff? I think it's, I think it's, I think it's, um, I think it's an amazing opportunity for, for people to do, who are musical and creative to be able to, get their stuff down um uh, i mean i think like you know if, if this if the kind of technology had been that was around now was around when i was i don't know 6, 15 16 17 whatever you wouldn't have got me out of my bedroom <laughs> um for um for those reasons i mean it, it's, it's i mean i i do get sense i've recently i mastered um an album for some guy who who'd done an electronic album in his bedroom. He he recorded it was all his stuff. He'd recorded it all. He mixed it all. I think he'd done it in Cubase or something. Mm-hmm. And um, he just basically kind of wanted some, you know, someone along in on the process somewhere along the line to kind of give it a little bit of a once over um, sonically. Yeah. And what he what he presented to me to, to master really didn't really need that much doing to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it sounded, it, you know, it sounded like a record. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's great. I mean, I, and I, you know, I, we, me and Dave, obviously, we both work in um, sort of bigger studios and smaller studios, and in our houses as well. I mean, I, I you know, talking to you from from a, a laptop, which I do uh, tend to record a lot in a studio, and because studios are expensive. Uh, we'll use the live rooms. We'll use the microphones and the the big desks, and then um, bring it home, do editing, yeah. um, a lot of sort of compiling and stuff. We'll get done at home, so you avoiding having to pay hundreds of pounds per day for studios. So, um, yeah, I mean, the technology that you could that's out there. I mean, Logic Audio is just an amazing tool, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you can kind of do a whole track. I think one of the things that we, we've kind of found really as well, though, what is kind of important to a lot of um, <clears throat> students and whatever, is that even though the technology is really good, that the old process of putting a track together and, and making sure that the integral 
you know, the component parts work, the, the, the drummer, you know, the drum parts, whether they're programmed or a drummer, mm. that's correct. And that sits in well with the bass line. And then the, the <clears> guitar <throat> parts are woven in with each other and the keyboards are in the right, um, you know, octaves and, and, and all this sort of stuff is an interesting thing because I think a lot of students seem to, you know, they kind of know a lot about um you know, EQing and compression and parallel compression and whatever. But we kind of get asked more questions on, well, why, how did you get that sound and, and why did you make that decision? That's really yeah. kind of what prompted us really to start this music masters, um, you know, master classes, if you like, because we, we were asked, um, you know, from different universities up and down the country to just um, come and chat about, you know, our experiences. And, and after doing a few of them, we realised that what a lot of the students didn't know, uh, understandably, is, well, how do you, how, how do you put a record together, mm. you know? Mm. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's one thing to be able to add some 10 10K, 10K to your, um, to your uh, hi-hat. It's kind of another thing to understand um, about whether the hi-hat's actually doing the right thing mm. and whether the, you know, all the component parts fit together. I mean, in terms of you can get great sound, you can do a brilliant sounding mix, but it will only sound brilliant if the music is fits together well. Yeah. Um, and similarly, you can't. It's impossible to do a good sounding mix of something that's just you know doesn't fit together musically well so yeah this is this is we i think we spend one thing that students have sort of gained from from talking you know talking with us about these things is that um rather than just rush to get something down you know oh we need to record this band let's just get it down because we've only got a day to do it let's just bang it down we've got we've got the mics up we've got the sounds together let's just bang it down because time's running out if you do that then you end up making a whole load more work further down yeah. the line whereas yeah. if you kind of make sure that what's going down is right then um you'll save yourself a whole heap of work later on and that's one thing me and jim have found is that it's almost back to the old school really mm. you, you know where like you know sort of motown records and you know they were made with in a very sort of like um disciplined way and even like you know yeah. great rock bands or whatever when you listen to some of the level of musicianships as uh, musicianship rather on um, all sorts of like great rock records or even you know sort of from i don't know thin lizzie or sort of david bowie or whatever you know the playing's really good and <laughs> i think you know you, you it's very important to understand that if that isn't correct it makes mixing really hard, mm, yeah. you know, if the track's too cluttered. And sometimes, I mean, I, I, you know, I know from my own experience that there was a couple of tracks. When I first really got into production, I just started working with different bands. You know, you'd be working on the mix and go, I, you know, this isn't right. You try EQing it and compressing it or something, and then you realise the vocalist is in the wrong register. Yeah. The, the drum, drum parts are too busy. And, you know, there's too many fills, all this mm, sort of stuff. Yeah. And what I'm saying is, whereas I'm using the model of it being um, a band, those important factors still relate to whether you're doing a, a sort of electronica track. You know, those old things really are important. You know, those disciplines that are within playing and within music. Yeah, absolutely. So could you, could you say a little bit more about these uh, Music Masters courses that you're running they're running um, based in the Manchester area, if I'm correct, or? Um, yeah, part, one of the courses that we do is based in Manchester, a studio called Blueprint Studios. Um, the other one is a, a residential course um, at Chapel Studios in Lincolnshire, Okay. Um, which is um, where I started out. Amazing studio. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful place. It's in a you know really nice place and um, full of fantastic equipment. Um and the sort of the idea behind the whole course, I think, was <clears throat> I'm, I, I know this is the same with Dave, but excuse me, I'm frogging my throat. <clears> the <throat> same with Dave, but I, I got a lot of emails from people who'd done courses, um, degree courses, sound recording courses, mm. 
um, basically kind of wanting to do um, get some experience of what it's actually really like in a recording studio, and then coming in on on you know occasionally me sort of letting them come in and sit on on sessions and stuff, and they were kind of shocked in a way <laughs> as to what it was really like. I mean, the difference between learning about the theory about using a compressor is, you know, as you know, it's very different from the reality of actually... The, the, the top topsy-turvy world of rock and roll. topsy-turvy <laughs> rock and roll. Well, you know, I mean, you can... You can think, okay, well, I know that if I plug this microphone into this desk and I route it to this channel and it comes up, you know, on this track on the Pro Tools, then that's how you get a guitar sound. There's obviously a lot more to that. There's there's a sort of there's a there's a human element in dealing with it. Dealing with a guitar player it might be three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, he may have had too much to drink, um, and or he, he wants to fight the rest of the band. He wants to fight the rest <laughs> of the band. So, you know, the the, the the idea behind the courses is that we we we, we go to whether it's a res, the, the residential one or the Manchester one. You you go in and we have obviously me and Dave know a lot of musicians and bands, um, and we were you, we will record a band um, under kind of well the students will record the band under our guidance. Yeah. Um, so we'll sort of show them techniques, tricks, um, and go through the whole recording process and and the mixing process. Yeah, I think the difference, one of the things that we're kind of offering is allowing students for the experience as well, as well as dealing with the technical side of things, you know, mm. how do you do this and, you know, how different things work. It's more or less, without sounding too hippie about it, the more esoteric sort of ideas around production really as well and you know sometimes it's like getting a good performance you know understanding the psychology of people a little bit mm -hmm. and you know what is it that defines what a good sound is and also you know giving them a bit of a viewpoint on the other factors which have really play a massive part in today's sort of um, landscape which is how to deal with the sort of business side of things with record companies and publishers and managers and etc cetera, etc cetera, and the pressures yeah, of course, yeah. that are, are there as well so i think it's kind of twofold what we're trying to do and we think it's it's quite unique really because very well it would appear that there doesn't seem to be any other producers offering a you know that there's, type of course really. i don't think there's many of them around really there's obviously there's a lot of courses that people do um and the frightening thing is is how much you know if you're going to go and do a, a degree in music technology especially with the latest uh government policies is you know you're going to be spending a lot of money nine, nine grand nine, a year. nine grand a year um which is a lot of money to spend um and i'm not saying that what we're offering in a short course yeah. is uh, is a replacement to doing a degree um but i think it's something that um can work hand in hand with that um yeah so either students or you know people who have some limited uh, knowledge of recording and they want to kind of learn some more uh, techniques and techniques and as dave, dave says um some of the more kind of esoteric stuff about you know dealing with people and making sure that the uh, the actual performances are right and and there's no point in just getting a tight drum track down if, if you know you will look at the parts and look at the, the what they're playing to make sure that it fits together well um of course yeah, course, yeah. Mm. that's really interesting so if people want to find out more about the courses whereabouts should they go uh www.musicmasters.co.uk Cool. And all the details about that. And do you have any courses planned for the at the moment upcoming? <clears throat> yes, we do. We've got one one um, at Chapel, um, which is on the twenty second to the twenty fourth of July, and there's one one in Blueprint in Manchester on the twenty sixth and twenty eighth of August. Um, but there'll be more to follow, I think. Um, and do you still have uh, other a couple of places left on those courses still? Yeah, there's still some spots left, cool. um, and you know. If, once they're full, we'll we'll be running some more. So um, you're welcome to it. If you, there's all our contact details, you can email us from the website. 
and uh, we'll include uh, we'll, we'll include the website in our show notes as always for the for the show for our listeners, so they'll be able to get them from there too. As well, excellent, brilliant, fantastic. Well, that's awesome stuff. Well, I think I've, I've got one last question, which is. Um, I, I like to ask people, but could you could you recommend a, a kind of definitive album that you think people should listen to as a, a listening recommendation, perhaps, for a, from a production point of view? Maybe. From a production point of view, wow. Um, or diff- just that's a great album that you think's great. Mm. Um, well, um, God, where do you start there? Um, Off the top of your head, the, the genuine answer. Not I the mean, the, the, yeah, the, the one album that's always kind of struck me was um, Slave to the Rhythm, Grace Jones, which is a Trevor Horn record, you know. Um, Just because of, uh, certainly at the time, you know, the the, the sort of pushing of kind of technology, coupled with the the tightness of of all the musicianship and also... um, you know, just the, the craziness of Grace Jones, really. <laughs> that's you know, but that's from a, from a production point of view. Um, there are other things that Trevor Horn's done. I mean, even like Welcome to the Pleasure Dome, you know, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, whether you stylistically like it or not, again, is another amazing sort of exploration into sampling, really, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult. I mean, there's so many different genres that, that, I, that I've listened to over the years, mm. um, you know, and pretty much any of Quincy Jones's productions mm. will, will do it for me. And Phil Spector as well, really. So these are, these are from yesteryear, I guess. But mm. um, uh, there's an album out uh, at the moment by a band called Ariel Pink, which I think is just the production on that is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, um, there's loads of great stuff. To, to find <laughs> and I'm constantly yeah. finding new stuff which is just sort of blowing blowing me away really mm. it's kind of it's just, the question it's a difficult question it's a bit yeah. like asking which is your which is which one is your favorite child um it's, <laughs> <laughs> which one's your favorite girlfriend <laughs> yeah that's a, well that one has real risks so that one does that <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah. Cool. well th- thanks a lot guys it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you both um I hope yeah. you've enjoyed yourself yeah, yeah, absolutely. Brilliant stuff. And, and thank you very much. As I said, um, the link for Music Masters, obviously it's musicmasters.co.uk, but we'll have that in the show notes for the audio podcast. Um, I'd like to thank you both for being on there, Jim and David. It's been, a, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for your time. Likewise. Thanks very yeah. much. Thank you. And we're back. I'm back from Friday. 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 And it's still Monday. I've been, I've been on Monday all along, but it was nice to listen to that chat from Friday. Okay. It was good. You um, know what time it is? You are Bunder. Bunder time. So this first one could have been news because it is a new release onto Tinterweb land. Um, it's what land was that? <laughs> Tinterweb land. Ace. <laughs> oh, it's Blender time it's in Tinterweb land. Yeah. Um, the what's in my callers? <laughs> dude, what's and the thingy what's? Um, so a, a, a an IR reverb comparison is our first Blender item. It Just is be sensible now. And uh, comparing the quality and sound that comes out of these rather than the features that which are offered. So it's on Resounding Blog and uh, re- Resounding dot com. Obviously, the yep. link to the exact pages in our wiki notes there. Wiki dot the audio podcast dot co dot uk. So you can have a look at that. It's pretty cool. Um, the comparison, um, the conclusion. Well, there's some s- files that you can listen to and hear what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing I found is that while they all claim to be doing the same thing, in actual fact, you get a very different. Yeah, you result plug, out of them. You're plugging the same impulse response into them all, but what you get out is is different. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's to be expected in some respects. Surely. Yeah. Well, de- definitely so. It's yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I thought it was just mm. you know, it's kind of cool. So there's definitely the the right you know impulse response reverb for the job. Perhaps it, it's it's very well written article, and they're looking at um out of verb, uh, revolver, TL space, waves IR one. Logic Space Designer and Voxengo Deconvolver. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. It's pretty cool. I, I thought it was a good read, actually. I enjoyed the article. So, there you go. Good. Um, next piece is, next piece of plunder that is, is um, History of the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. Yeah, this is from uh, radioart.net. Uh, radioartnet.net. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, it, it, it's, it's a fairly detailed, uh, a detailed read about the history of that um i noticed it was originally published in sound on sound april of 2008 but it's just made it up onto 
a non-paid wall free location. Yep. Although I, I mean, I suspect that 2008 is probably available on the SOS website as well, isn't it? By now. Oh, probably, possibly but, so. Yep. Anyway, I just noticed that. I'm saying it's obviously the 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 author of the piece is written across to another. Yep. It's written across any. It, it's a very well written piece. I'm saying obviously the the big thing that is kind of contemporary for people at the moment is uh, Doctor Who theme tune. Mm-hmm. The original theme tune is obviously part of the work there from BBC Radiophonic Workshop. It's an interesting read, actually. I kind of, I kind of enjoyed it. There's lots of like photos of retro hardware with retro clothing. It's kind of fun, you know. <laughs> it's kind of neat. And we, obviously, I was taught. Obviously, back on Friday, I was. We were talking about kind of legacy hardware stuff and things like yeah. that. So that's kind of fun. Yeah, I was the same with you. I came in on the industry at ADAT level eight, but although I was where the studio I was in had um. Two eight up machines, so we had sixteen tracks. Ooh, kind of. But it, we did mean you had to remember to bring two tapes and formatting your tapes before your sessions and stuff. Was, yeah, the sync was fairly stable between the. Oh yeah, 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 no problem. With it that. had um, it had its own dedicated sync terminal, didn't it? Yes. Right, in thinking that. Yeah. I never had two eight in one room. I don't think. But years later, um, I have still had my tapes with all the sessions on them, oh, and cool. I, um, had access to just one eight up machine and. You know, transfer them across, but only eight tracks at a time because, yeah, I couldn't get the sync to work with newer, newer hardware, which in theory could have synced up. So I could have, but it, no, that didn't work at all. Oh, those are good days. Those anyway, plundering. We, we we're in a long show now, so um, let's let's. Oh yeah, this move. Yeah, so this is cool. So that was a cool article about the history of the BBC Radiophonic. Yeah, workshop. Go go have a read if you want. It's pretty cool. Good read. And that takes us to our final item of plunder. Yeah, and um, this is uh, a, a cool YouTube video, um, uh, Tim Exile with the Google Guitar homepage song. So Google had the uh, a playable guitar as its homepage logo. Yep. What was it last week, week before? Um, I guess it must have been last week. It seems it like a long time ago, but I think that's just because a lot of stuff's happened. Um, yeah. yeah, that was when that was celebrating Les Paul's existence, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. That's right, yeah. But yep, this is Tim Exile, who's also a producer. I think he's produced quite a few pop albums here and there. But his own thing is he um, kind of does live sampling and looping and stuttering of sounds. Yeah. That's what he does. Have a look. That's a, yeah, that's a cool video. Why not check it out? <laughs> cool. And with that, Sam, we've made it to the end of the show. It is a long show. It is. I mean... But yep. there's a cool... There's a good interview in the middle, I'm saying. I can't... Uh, you know, there is. It's, it's a long story, but if you go to wiki.theaudiopodcast.co.uk, then you'll see there's not that many links involved. So... That, that's cool. Don't forget, if you've got something you if you want to come on the show, you've got something you want to tell us about, something we've missed, or you want to complain, then, you know, have, have a look on, on the website, wiki.theaudiopodcast.co.uk, and you'll get all our stuff, Twitter, email, it's all there, and that'd be great. Um, With that, I think we're done. Okay. All um, right, then. See you probably Wednesday next week. Wednesday next week, yeah. Yep. All right, then. Bye. Bye. <laughs>